This afternoon we'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer and we'll be doing so using the Heidelberg Catechism. In connection with that, we will begin by reading our Lord's teachings with regards to prayer. We'll be reading together from Matthew chapter 6. And we'll be focusing especially on Matthew 6 verse 9, but we'll read together today the verses 5 to 13. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we'll look at the command today of our Lord. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We'll now turn to Lord's Day 46, which reflects on these words as well. You can find that on page 560 of your book of praise if you'd like to follow along. Lord's Day 46. Why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust towards God which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner, and to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. So far. Congregation loved by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's something really, really special when your little boy or your little girl says, Mommy or Daddy for the very first time just warms your heart. When they run to you for a skinned knee, or when they come to you for comfort, when they're scared, the fact that they come to you as their parent for refuge is just such a special thing. 
And if you're feeling particularly, particularly patient or caring that day and you have the time to spend a little bit more time with your child, you can stop and take the time to wrap them up in your arms. You can comfort them. You can encourage them. You can lift them up and teach them to be brave despite their fears because you are their father or their mother and you're there for them. It's a very special thing to be able to be there for them in that way. Now, we all do know our own shortcomings. We know that there are days when we're not as patient with that skinned knee. We know as well, looking at our parents, that they're not perfect either. When we looked at the Ten Commandments a number of weeks ago, we were reminded of that again, where there was a calling and encouragement to be patient and bear with our parents and all those who are in authority, having patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings. And so we, we see that God recognizes that our parents are not perfect, and we ourselves as parents are not perfect. More than that, there are those of us who, who do see clearly where our parents have fallen short, where we ourselves as well, who are fathers, where we have sinned and where we have perhaps wronged our children in different ways. We know that this is a departure from how God created fatherhood to be. And we do ought to reflect on the fact that it is a departure. That being said, there is a foundational thing that we can find in our father's best days and in our own best days as fathers. A time when fathers really clearly reflect the beauty of that relationship with our heavenly father. Fathers created in God's image and made new creations in Christ as Christians. When fathers see themselves by the power of His Spirit imaging God's grace in a new way to their children, in a way that is appropriate and right and a beautiful reflection of the character of God, there is a foundational thing that we can see there. We can see His mercy, His patience, his kindness, his comforting of those who come to him, asking him to come for them, his calming the fears of those who are afraid, his bringing peace to the upset. We see little things showing tenderness and love. And when we see this, and we see the most beautiful part of the relationship coming out, we stand in awe of our Heavenly Father because we're reminded for all the times that we do image God's grace and who He is as a Father to us, our Father Himself is that much greater. We're only showing one small part of who He is. And so we're comforted in how the New Testament in particular reminds us time and time again of the words, if such and such a thing is true for our earthly fathers, how much more is it true for your fathers in heaven, for your father who is in heaven? In light of that, 
How much more is it not true for our Heavenly Father? How much more? In light of that, we can reflect on how good it is then that Christ commands us to call God our Father. We see today in our passage, in this manner, therefore pray, commanding words of our Lord, and recognizing the goodness of God's fatherhood, we can reflect on how good it is that Christ commands us to call God our Father. We'll see, first of all, what happens when we don't, when we don't listen to this call of our Lord and Savior, and secondly, what happens when we do. Our Father in heaven. These opening words of Jesus Christ for his prayer, the prayer that he taught us, are words of intimacy. They bring to mind for the people of God that Father who is there, who does gather up those children in his arms when they do sit down, when you as Father do teach your children. But it wasn't always the case for the people that Jesus is speaking to that they were intimate with God. And it's a little saddening when we lose that intimacy in God for two reasons. First, we see, we need to see what we deny Him. And we'll do that looking at the background of the people that Jesus was speaking to. And second, what we deny ourselves as well. In the first place, what we deny Him. In the days of Jesus, there was a distance between man and God. The people that he was speaking to had a distance between themselves and God. And this distance was one which surrounded God's name. You've heard me refer to the name of God from our pulpit, that sacred, intimate name of God, the Lord in all caps. This was, as we're familiar with, the name that God gave to his people. As a man gives a woman whom he dearly loves a promise and a name saying, I am your husband. The name Yahweh. The name which speaks of covenant, relationship, love, and tenderness. The name which was to bear witness of God's eternal faithfulness to his people. The divine name. Now, among the people that Jesus was speaking to at this time, as he was teaching them, he was speaking to them in a time and place when they had distanced themselves from that intimate name of God. In the 400 silent years between the last prophet Malachi and the coming of Jesus Christ, a change had happened for the people of God. More and more, that divine name, the Lord in all caps, was set aside. That divine name was increasingly regarded to be too sacred to be spoken by the lips of men. In synagogues, in empires and kingdoms around the world, as the Jewish people spread out, it was replaced more and more by the Hebrew word Adonai, meaning my Lord, or in the Greek-speaking world, Kurios, again, meaning Lord. The thing was, in an attempt to be reverent, 
Jesus was recognizing a weakness that showed up here. In their attempt to be even more reverent, to go above and beyond what Scripture called them to, the people had lost that intimacy. And you can imagine how challenging that must have been to lose that sense of intimacy, especially during a time in which there were 400 silent years between the last prophet and the coming of Jesus Christ. But with these words to his disciples, when you pray, call God your Father, Jesus returned his people to that intimacy. Think about this for a moment. What the people of God did so many centuries before is the result of a fallen human nature. A nature against which we need to fight. There is something within ourselves, within our fallen human nature, that pushes against that intimacy with God. It wasn't always so. In the Garden of Eden, the people of God walked in intimate relationship with Him. Created by Him as perfect, they, they walked with Him, they talked with Him in the cool of the day. How beautiful that must have been. But Satan worked to drive a wedge between mankind and God and strip him of that intimacy, an intimacy which the devil himself had already freely sacrificed in the pursuit of pride and power, an intimacy which mankind also freely sacrificed in his desire to be equal with God, having the knowledge of good and evil. It's a natural outworking now of our sinful human nature to draw back from God. It's the result of our fallenness to shrink away from that kind of intimacy, that kind of closeness with the divine. And it's all the more reinforced by the devil who tells us that we can't. Satan, the accuser, tells us God is too pure, too holy for us now. There is only one place to go, and that's to hide in the darkness and the depths of the garden, to keep our distance from God. But Jesus is reminding us again that God created us for intimacy with him. When we have that coolness towards our Heavenly Father, when we, when we keep our distance, what are we actually saying? We're saying, the devil's right. God wouldn't want me. Look at what I've done last week or yesterday or even this morning. How could I draw near to him in prayer? Or look how, it's, how long it's been since the last time that I spoke to him. How could I draw near to him in prayer? I wouldn't want me there. But then we deny him. You see, a claim of father 
means that he lays complete claim to you and your life. When you boys and girls are in your families, you're not just sons and daughters when you're good. You're sons and daughters when you're bad too. Having been disobedient doesn't mean that your parents will not want you to be your child. It doesn't mean that they stop loving you even when they discipline you. It doesn't mean that they don't want you to come to them and to talk with them and say you're sorry. They are your parents in all of your life. So too, Jesus is teaching his disciples, teaching these weak and weary, these sinful crowds on whom he has compassion, teaching them that God has laid claim to those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. God has laid claim to them as his children. John 1, verses 12 to 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God lays claim to us as a father to his children, to all of our lives. There is no desire in him. There is no desire for us to keep sections of our life away from him, hidden from him, tucked away. For sure, there are ways in which he doesn't want us to go in life. That goes without question. But the answer in that is not to withhold those parts from him. That's what the devil tells you. That's the divide that he wants to drive in between you and God. But God looks at you and says, I want all of you. The answer is not to withhold those parts of our lives from him. The answer is to bring all of our lives to him. So likewise, when we're talking about his holiness and our weakness, as, as the people in, uh, in Jesus' day were doing, when they spoke of how his name was too sacred to be uttered, when we're talking about his holiness and our weakness, we don't hold him as too sacred to speak to or to speak about. Yes, we speak with reverence, we don't abuse his name, we're still respectful, but we don't speak with that distance anymore. Christ teaches us that he has made us his children. He is our father, he lays claim to all of us, and he lays claim to the right for us to address him in intimacy and with love. In the second place, what we deny ourselves. Denying that, that, that claim and that intimacy is the first thing that happens if we don't listen, if we don't respond to Jesus' command to call him our Father. But the second thing that happens is that we deny ourselves that level of intimacy. Again, the devil sought to sow distrust between man and God from the beginning, from the time of the Garden of Eden. And he delighted when he saw Adam and Eve question God by their actions and by their taking from the tree. He delighted even more when he saw them run from God, trembling to hide from him in the depths of the garden. 
And he delights in seeing you and me put that distance between ourselves and God as well. That distance that we put there by thinking, he's too busy to listen to me. I'm just one more tiny person in a big world calling on him. There are much bigger things in this world for him to be involved with than me. I'm just one more kid who's yelling, Dad, Dad, Dad! And their parent is ignoring them because they're busy with other things. It becomes background noise for them. No. Christ says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Christ also says, as we saw in John 1, verses 12 to 13, that whoever puts their trust in him becomes those little children as well in the eyes of God. They become God's children. And yes, this God who calls the little children to come to him even has time for the prayer of a child. We ought not to deny ourselves this. As our catechism says, God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. We deny ourselves. We ought not to deny ourselves of that intimacy, that closeness with God when we don't take advantage of this in prayer when we don't take advantage of coming to him as our Father. Christ calls us to speak to him as our Father. And he's not commanding us to do something that will scandalize God or bore God. He is commanding us commanding us to do something that God desires of us, a type of relationship that God has acquired for us through his Son and calls us, teaches us to take advantage of. Loved ones, listen to the command of Jesus in this prayer. Listen to the command of Jesus and come to God in the intimate way that he wants you to come to him as Father, not as a distracted earthly father, not as an impatient father, not as an, not as an easily angered father, but with a divine perfection of heaven, as the perfect father who takes an interest in all of the lives of his children. And this brings us to our second point. What happens when we do take advantage of this? So we come to learn that we ought not to deny ourselves of these things, of this intimacy, this relationship of love, this covenant relationship that God has established with us and the benefits that come with that. But what happens when we do come to God as Father? When we do come to Him as Christ commands us, not just with words, but also with our hearts, really coming before him with that intimacy. Well, there are two things that change radically. First, we'll, we see what we receive in him, and then what we receive from him. 
In him, we see that God has created us for intimacy with him. When we have that coolness towards our Heavenly Father, when we keep our distance, and uh, th- then we are saying that the devil is right and God wouldn't want me, as we saw before. Look at what I've done last week or yesterday or even this morning. How can I draw to him in prayer? I wouldn't want me there. But God does want us. He's made us his children. Those who have believed in Jesus Christ by the power of God, he has made us his children. This is what we receive in him. And here I want to focus a little bit more strongly on what it means for him to have laid claim to all of our life, the good parts and the bad, and that he won't stop being your father. God knows what you've done. God knows what you've done. For those of you who have believed in Jesus Christ and you've put your faith in him, you've put your trust in him, God knows what you've done, good or bad. And even so, he wants you. Because he paid a price for you. You might see your own weaknesses very strongly. But in Christ, you became not only his created child, but his adopted child. The child that he picked out of all of the other children on earth, out of his sovereign good pleasure, not because anything in you attracted you to him, but because he laid his love upon you. He knows your sin. He knows your history. After all, That was what cost him the price of your adoption. That's why Jesus had to pay a price for that very sin. But now he calls you to draw near to him in intimacy, even with that sin, and to surrender it to him as your heavenly father. When you approach, remember that he has searched you and known you. He knows you. And he still calls you to himself as his child. He still calls you to call him father. And that changes everything. Such a God who responds to us in such a way awakens in us as our catechism confesses. At the very beginning of our prayer, that childlike reverence and trust towards God himself, which should be basic to our prayer. That childlike reverence and trust. We can have that trust because we know that he saw every part of our lives and he still laid his love on us in adopting us to be his children. And so we can come to him with that childlike trust, knowing that everything is laid bare before him, repentantly, humbly, seeking to live a new life in him, coming to him as our father. That's what we receive from him as he's laid that adoption claim of father on us, or in him. Next we can see what we receive from him. For that, we need to especially focus on the words in heaven. 
In this, we just see a wealth of promise. And our catechism points this out. Our catechism teaches us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner, and to ex- uh, but to expect from his almighty power all things that we need for body and soul. How can we expect that? We can expect that because of the words, in heaven. In the name Father, we are reminded that he has laid claim to us and that he is our Father indeed, a perfect Father who for the sake of Jesus lets his little children come to him. But he's also, we're reminded now, our Heavenly Father, which means that he has so much more in store for us than just laying claim to us, than just placing his love. Yes, we are now unshakable in his love, those of us who come to him through Jesus Christ. But he has so much more in store for us. Because he's not just any earthly father. He's God. He's God in heaven. So he, who is God? God is the one who, in the words of Belgian Confession, Article 1, is eternal, incomprehensible, Invisible, immutable, no change, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. When we see that tied to his fatherhood, as we find in the command of Jesus, our Father who is in heaven, when we see those two coming together in perfect and beautiful harmony, we see all of that, everything that he is as God, applied to us as our Father. He is eternal. For us, we can have it that our children's voices become background noise when they're yelling at us and we can slowly hear them escalating their cries of, Dad, Dad, Dad! But for him, he is eternal. Yes, there's a lot that's going on in the universe. Yes, he's involved with the farthest reaches of the universe. But that doesn't mean that he's too busy or too distracted. Earthly fathers are limited in their time. Our heavenly father is not. He is at the same time in time and outside of time. He is eternal, unbound by the constraints of time. He has time for the prayer of each of us. Time for the calling out of the most sinful, the most downtrodden, the most insignificant. He has time for the prayer of the smallest child. Yes, he has time for your prayer. Incomprehensible. How does all of that work? Him having time for each of our prayers? We don't entirely know, but we trust because he's promised it. Invisible. Although we can't see him, it doesn't mean he's not there. He is our ever-present Father, watching over his children in love. Immutable. Immutable means unchanging. 
his love for his children in Jesus Christ won't change. It won't change because you've fallen back into sin again. And then you're coming to him, having struggled time and time again. It won't turn cold because you come back to him in repentance. It won't change because he's fickle or because he's in a mood or because he wants something from you. This is what the pagans believed, as Jesus said, leading up to the Lord's Prayer. That they needed to heap on all of these words in order to comfort and in order to appease their gods. No, God's not like that. He won't change because he's fickle or because he's in a mood or because he wants something from you. It's immutable, perfect, unchanging fatherly love that he expresses. He is infinite. There is no bottom to this ocean of his love, his fatherly love. There is no drinking this cup dry. There is no end to it. His cup, your cup, overflows. He's almighty. He's able to give you, as we confessed, all things that we need for body and soul. He's perfectly wise. In his divine fatherly wisdom, he is able to withhold from you what you do not need. Though you may have set your heart on it and greatly desire it for your eternal good, because he's perfectly wise, just. Yes, he's seen your sins, and his justice covers it over, paid in full through Jesus Christ. Therefore, now his justice having paid for his, his justice having been satisfied, his justice having been poured out on Jesus Christ, that debt having been paid and his claim now stamped on you, now his justice will eternally demand that he receives you as his beloved child, even if there was any doubt to reason to doubt his fatherly love for any other reason. Good. He is good. How good? The overflowing fountain of all good. What we receive in him is a relationship, father to child. What we receive from him is the promise that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of my Lord, my father forever. So, loved ones, we ought not to deny ourselves what is freely offered in the words of Jesus Christ. As those who come to Jesus in repentance and faith, of those who cry out to God for his Holy Spirit to continue to work in us and transform us day by day, we ought not to deny ourselves either what is freely offered to us through God in his fatherhood. Rejoice in what is freely and overflowingly offered to you as you do come to him in Christ. Come to him as Christ teaches. Come to him as Christ demands. Loved ones, this is our Father who is in heaven. All for the sake of Jesus. Praise him, praise him, all you little children. Amen.